0: And as uh, Zach mentioned, we just started, uh, I think, a pretty awesome series uh, last week called Conversations on Life, God, and Other uh, Small Topics. And uh, really, my heart in doing this series and walking through, we're going to be doing this until uh, mid December, right up until Christmas time, <clears throat> is that each of us would be in a place and uh, desirous and even willing uh, to really examine ourselves. What I mean by examine ourselves is that we literally would examine who we are, and uh, what we believe, and why we believe that, and how we even came to believe that. Uh, so my heart is that we're going to be digging in and really diving into some pretty challenging topics and issues, uh, some conversations as we're calling them. Uh, i give you a preview for next week, actually. We're going to be talking about science. So if you have any friends who are of the scientific mindset and just see how Modern-day science and all the discoveries of modern-day science are just incompatible uh, with God as creator and certainly the story uh, of creation as told in Scripture. Next week would be a great week for you to invite them to come with you uh, as that's our third conversation is just science. Um, But again, the heart is uh, examine that you'd be willing to dig deep, to dive in uh, to some really challenging issues and topics. Uh, Socrates, I mentioned this last week, uh, said the unexamined life is, not, uh, is a life that's not worth living. And so my hope is we're willing to examine ourselves. Uh, Chuck Colson, who is uh, an author, speaker, apologist, uh, in response to what Socrates said, actually said this. Um, I don't think any of us really live unexamined lives. I think most of us ask the big questions. I think they're wired into us. Most of us put them off because we distract ourselves from them, because we often don't want to face them, but they're out there. My hope over the next today and just over the next eight weeks is that we would not choose just to ignore them, avoid them, or just a distraction as not to deal with them, but we'd really be willing to to dive in to some really important questions about life, and what life with God is, is meant to look like. Um, if you're familiar with C.S. Lewis, uh, C.S. Lewis is a man who uh, really began his journey as an atheist, uh, and from atheism uh, came to the conclusion of that he was comfortable to say, I'm a theist now. And A theist is someone who believes in God. Uh, and the span of time between uh, C.S. Lewis becoming a theist, meaning just at least saying there is a God, and so when he actually confessed Christianity, that I see Jesus as God was about three years. Um, And one of the things that C.S. Lewis in his journey talks about uh, is that often uh, God will bring pain, God will bring suffering uh, as a way to get us to examine our lives. And I'm not sure if you've ever noticed that. I certainly have. Uh, When things go bad, when things get difficult, when times are trying, when there's just trial after trial after trial, every circumstance, situation you find yourself in, Uh, is just frustrating, it's painful, it's hurtful. It's in those moments, it's in those seasons of life where we finally stop and we finally begin to examine ourselves and examine, gosh, what is going on and why am I responding the way I'm responding? Uh, So C.S. Lewis just talks about how God uses pain and suffering as a way to get our attention. He actually says this, On August 23rd, my father's birthday, she died. And with her death, my world showed its true colors, a feeble house of cards. With my mother's death, it came crashing down. Again, I've seen this time and time again, uh, where it it hits the fan, and it's hard, it's painful. It's in those moments where you finally start to stop. Stop running from it. It's in those moments where you are confronted with What do I really believe about God? What do I really believe about myself? And my hope is that you would not have to get to rock bottom before you're actually willing to examine yourself. My hope is that in these next nine weeks, you'd say, you know what? I want to do this now. I want to engage my heart, my mind with the great grand mysteries of God and what life with God is meant to look like. Now, last week, our first conversation started with God. Uh, Because as we learn, what you believe or do not believe about God is going to shape everything about you. And so if you do not believe in God, you're an anti-theist or an atheist, or if you have friends who are atheists, that's going to shape every aspect of their life. Every choice or decision will reflect that they do not believe that there's a God or you do not believe there's a God. Conversely, if you are a theist, if you believe in God, Uh, that will shape and form every decision, action, reaction that you make. So we had to start with God. And what do you believe about God? Why do you believe that about God? How did you come to that conclusion about God? Today, we're turning our second conversation to really focusing on man. And I'm going to ask a bunch of questions as I normally do. But there's two primary questions that I'm going to ask today. Uh, Two primary questions. The first one is simply this. When I say simply, it's pretty challenging. Uh, what does it mean to be human? Someone comes up to you and says, what does it really mean to be human? How would you actually answer that question? Are we just really the result of chemical reactions, mere outcomes of just random biological accident, as it were? Like, what does it really mean to be human? Uh, And the second question that we're going to get into uh, is, who am I? Who am I? What is my identity? What is your identity? It's certainly a question that's been asked of you before, uh, and it's certainly a question that there's a ton of people asking of, who am I? Why do I exist? What is the point of my life? Why am I here? Uh, Great question to ask, but today we're diving into, well, how are you actually answering that question? And is that answer actually leading you... um, to fulfillment in life, to meaning, to joy, to peace? Or is that actually the way you're answering that question leading you uh, towards frustration? So two big questions. What does it mean to be human? And the second question is, who am I? What is my identity? Why do I exist? Now, we're beginning. uh, Those are the two questions. Before I can even ask those two questions, here's another one. It's going to hit you with a ton of questions today, so prepare yourself. Who are you actually asking that question to? It's a good question of what does it mean to be human. It's a good question to say, who am I? But who are you actually asking? Because when you are wondering that question and you're, you have that question, who are you actually going to to find an answer to the question? It's not enough to say, I've got a good question. You've got to do the hard work to say, well, where am I going or who am I going to with this question that I have? And they're huge questions. What does it mean to be human? And who am I? Why do I exist? Why am I here? So where are you going to with those questions? If you are an anti-theist, do not believe in the existence of God, where will you go to? And I'm addressing also your friends. You have friends who do not believe in God. Where are you going to go to to find answers to those questions? Now, some clearly would just turn to science. That's a great question, what does it mean to be human? I will turn to science to see how science will answer that question. And the reality is, science will have a great answer of talking to you uh, about, uh, literally, how the human body works. You will get an explanation of how the body works together, and how cells and DNA, like what it means to be, not what it means, but how the human body works. But there's a big difference in understanding how something works and actually having an answer to defining what it means. So if you just turn to science because you don't believe in God, you'll find an explanation of how something works but not a definition of what it means. Now, some would say, well, I'm not going to turn to science. I'll actually turn to uh, philosophy for my answer. Uh, and, if, again, if you turn to philosophy, you will be introduced to a plethora of ideas, a a plethora of questions about what it means uh, to be human. Your dilemma will be, well, how do I know which one is right? How do I choose which one to actually believe? Because if you don't believe in God and you're going to turn to science, there's problems there. If you don't believe in God and you're turning to philosophy to figure out what it means to be human, how do you choose which one to believe? I like how G.K. Chesterton said this, The tragedy of disbelieving in God is not that a person ends up believing in nothing. Alas, it's much worse. He may end up believing in anything. Again, great questions, but to whom are you actually turning to or asking those questions of? I'm not suggesting that we can't learn anything from science or can't learn anything from philosophy. But they do not offer questions of what it ultimately means to be human. Now, my stance is, uh, I believe in God. I am a Christian theist, meaning I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe in Jesus as God. And you've heard the, the phrase before, know thyself. If you really want to know thyself, you need to know God. You need to have a relationship. If you don't know God, if you do not have a relationship with God, you will never figure yourself out. Because you cannot know yourself apart from knowing God. And so as I turn and answer this question of what does it ultimately mean to be human, I'm turning towards God for the answer. I'm not looking to to science or philosophy or any other ideas. I'm looking to God. And this is what God says in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Two short verses, and what do you learn? Well, you learn that we were created by God again and again and again. It was God who created them, male and female. But we learn something amazing about what God did in creation. And this is the answer to what does it mean to be human. And I encourage you to write these two words down, Imago Dei. Imago Dei just means image of God. What it means to be human is that you and I have been created by God in the image of God. Now, we don't resemble God in physical form. He's a spirit. But as image bearers of God, we literally represent him, albeit imperfectly. But because God is uh, holy, because God is kind, compassionate, loving, just, merciful, righteous, we have been created in that image and can mirror or reflect to those around us who God is, and what God is like. So again, the question is, what does it mean to be human? Imago Dei, image of God. What sets you and I apart from anything and everything else in all of creation, in nature, in animal kingdom? What sets you apart? What defines you as a human being? How you understand your humanness is that you are an image bearer of God. So my question is uh, or John Piper uh, or John Calvin actually said it like this as a mirror reflects the image of the one in front of it humanity is capable of mirroring or reflecting God back to the world. No one else can do that except humans. Why? Because how we understand what it means to be human is that we are created in God's image and can image reflect or mirror back to the world what God is like Now, I asked you this last week and it was a pretty crucial question of how do you how do you understand God? How would you describe what God is like? And how you think about God, A.W. Tozer said is the most important thing about you because how you think about God, understand God, uh, is going to just define every aspect of your life. And so if you're a person who says, you know, when I think about God, I just he's kind of he seems indifferent. He seems like he doesn't care. He seems distant. If that is your view of God, that is going to be the very thing that you image or mirror or reflect back to the world. Because if God doesn't care, if you think God is indifferent, if you think that God is distant, distant, then why should you care? We image and reflect back to those around us what we believe God to be like. So what you believe about God is crucial. Again, I'm not going to rehash everything we talked about last week, but I will ask the question, is what you believe about God really true? Is it right? Is it what God has revealed himself to us to be like? Compassionate, merciful, just, righteous, kind, compassionate, generous, creative, and the list could go on. What does it mean to be human it means that you and I bear the image of God. Now, let me just ask this question Why does Imago Day matter? So, you're talking with a friend in conversation, and they say, hey, because this comes up every day, uh, what does it mean to be human? And I say that tongue in cheek, but in reality, these are the conversations we should be having with people. I realize it's easier to talk about a baseball game or a football game, and it's not that those don't have any significance. But I am suggesting these are the questions that we should be engaging people with. And so someone asks you the question, well, what does it really mean to be, <coughs> to be human? Your answer is Imago Dei. And they look at you and say, well, okay, what's the big deal about that? What is so significant? Why is that so important? And I would give you these two answers to share with them of why Imago Dei, why that is significant. And number one would simply be this, the fact that I bear the image of God, it reminds me that I have a creator. The fact that you bear God's image in your life, it should remind you that you have a creator. Now, I don't know what others have told you, but you're not an accident. God created you with great care, with great intentionality, with great purpose, with great design. The psalmist says this in 139, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. For you, being God, created my inmost being. I praise you. Why? Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So why does Imago Day matter? When I explain it to someone, it reminds me that I have a creator that I have been created by God and I bear God's image. Now, knowing that, why does that matter? Because if the person pressed you and says, well, okay, so you have a creator, What's, why does that matter in your life? I would say this, it humbles me and it reminds me that I'm not God. It reminds me to know that I have a creator in whose image I've been created. It humbles me to the core and it should remind me daily that I am not him. I am not my creator. I am not in control. I have a God who intentionally, carefully, fearfully, and wonderfully made me in his image. If uh, you're familiar with a a book, it was more of a devotional by a gentleman, a pastor named Rick Warren, uh, called 40 Days of Purpose. On the very first day, the very first line of his book, he just knocks it out of the park when he says, it's not about you. Reminding myself that I have a creator reminds me of the amazing truth that it's not about me. It's, it's not about me because I'm not God. I'm not creator. I have a creator. It's about him. So it teaches me humility. It reminds me to be humble. Second thing I'd say is it teaches me dependence. If you believe that you have a creator, then automatically we should be dependent on our creator for all things. If our Creator, if you, if you believe that God just kind of winds you up and said, go off on your merry way and just do whatever you want, that would be a wrong conclusion about who God is and how God created you and designed you. But I believe that God not only fearfully and wonderfully made me, I believe God created me with a plan and a purpose, and He is intimately involved in the details of my life, the day-to-day details. And so because I know God to be Creator... I depend on my creator for what does my life look like? What do I do in this situation? How do I, where do I go with this? I have someone to depend on. Why? Because I have a creator. Third thing I'd say is how should this impact that I have a creator, how should that impact me? This is a humbling one as well, but I have to give an account to the one who created me. One day, you and I, will stand before God and we will have to give an account for the life that we lived. The Apostle Paul says it like this, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Knowing that I have a creator who created me with intentionality, purpose, and design, it should humble me, it leads me to greater dependence on him, and it also, one day, I will have to give an account. One day, you will have to give an account for the life that he created you and for the life that you lived. So, again, the initial question is, uh, why does Imago Day matter? It matters because the fact that I bear the image of God reminds me that I have a creator. The second thing I would say of why Imago Day matters and why it's significant is this. The image of God gives all of humanity significance, value, value, and worth. The fact that every human on the planet, regardless of race, regardless of background, regardless of gender, if you're human, you bear the image of God. And your significance, your value, and worth does not come from what you do or don't do. Your significance, value, and worth comes from you bear the image of God. This is a really significant one. The image of God gives all humanity significance, value, and worth. Whether you are born or unborn, if you are a human, if you are a human that has yet to literally meet the world, you still bear the image of God. If you're a human who's been born, like all of you sitting right here, your value, significance, and worth comes from not what you do, not what others say of you, but your value, your worth comes from you bear the image of God. Now, we live in a world where significance value is so tied to what you look like or what you don't look like, what job you have, what possessions you own. The beauty of Imago Day is it declares very clearly that we have value and worth because we bear the image of God. So it should not only radically change how you understand yourself, like if you get this, do you know what this means? You don't have to look for significance, value, and worth in anything else or from anyone else. Why? Because you already have it. Why? Because you bear the image of God, Imago day. that's it. So not only should it radically reshape how you view yourself, It should radically reshape how we view community. And what I mean by that is we love everybody. No one is excluded. No one is on the outside, as it were. We could never look to another person because they don't look a certain way, act a certain way. They've got a personality quirk that just is whatever and deem them, oh, I I don't love them or I don't want to be in community with them. The fact, why? Well, they bear the same image of God that you do. And this should radically reshape how we understand community because we love everybody. Everybody is loved. It doesn't matter if they did something to deserve it. It doesn't matter they bear the image of God. And because that, their significance comes from that. And we love them. We accept them. We include them. Everybody, regardless of any affiliations they might have that you disagree with, we love all people because all people bear the image of God. Now, Amago Day answers so many questions, answers the question of origins, meaning where did you come from? Well, I was created by God, for God. I don't have to be confused anymore as to where I came from because I know my creator and he created me in his image. Question of value and worth? Well, I don't need to struggle with value and significance and dignity in my life. Why? Well, because I have it with God. Why? Well, Amago Day. I bear the image of God in my life question of meaning and purpose created by God for God. In other words, not to know God is problematic on so many levels. The less we know and understand God, the less you're going to understand and know yourself. So this one statement, this one answer to the question of what does it mean to be human, Imago Day answers so many questions for you. Origins, significance, value, dignity, worth. Meaning, purpose, it all comes from created by God in God's image. Now, what does it mean to be human? Amago day, Please remember that. Image of God. What we first learn about our humanity is that we bear the image of the one who created us, which, do you know why that's good news? Do you know why it's really good news that we bear his image? You don't have to create your own image now. And we live in a world that is obsessed with image of what people are going to think of me and how people are going to view of me and I do say, do things dress a certain way, act a certain way because I want to have an image where people like me, know me, love me, respect me, admire me. The fact that God has placed his image on me rescues me from trying to create my own image. And if you are at all confused onto the image that you bear, the image that has been given to you by God, well, guess what? You will not be able to answer the next question of who are you because my identity, who I am, cannot be divorced, cannot be separated from the question of what does it mean to be human. From image flows identity. And if you don't have your image right, correct in that you're created in God's image, you will try to create an image, and out of that will flow an identity that's just all over the place. Now, I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but I will ask it again. Who are you? How do you answer that question? I'll give you an example. Well, who are you? Well, my name's Michael. No, no, that's your name. Well, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm a husband. No, that's a role that you play. Well, I'm, I'm a dad. No, that's another role that you play. I'm, I'm a friend. I'm a brother. I'm a pastor. I'm a, no, Michael, you're not getting it. You're giving me roles that you play in life, and those roles do not shape your identity. They do not shape who you are. Typically, when someone asks you, well, who are you, You give them a list of what your names are, your nicknames are, or the jobs that you've had or currently have. Why? Because we're confused as to our image, and so we're looking to the things that we do in life to help that image and create the identity, and our identity flows from that. I wanted to share with you what you're not. Most of us are very confused as to how to even answer the question of who are you? I really Just be honest with yourself. How would you answer that question? Who are you? If someone asked you, who are you, what would you say? Would you give them a list of things that you do, or would you give them an answer of, no, this is who I am, and who I am flows from the image that has been given to me by God. This is who you are not. You aren't what's been done to you. I can't tell you how many times I've just met people whose identity is being shaped fashioned and formed by what others have done to them things wrong things that have been done to them sinful things that have been done to them and those are the things that have shaped how they answer who i am you aren't what's been done to you you aren't what you do i've covered that one you're not just what your role is you aren't what others declare you to be You may have had people speak words over you and said this to you or said this to you or said this to you. That's not who you are. You are not what others declare you to be. And lastly, I'd say you aren't what you say you are. So who are you? My answer would be you are who God, who Jesus has declared you to be. Not what others have said, not what others have done, and not even what you say of yourself. God is the one who declares who we are, and he declares who we are flowing from the image that he has planted and placed within us. Nothing or no one in this life can change, thwart, or diminish what God has declared of you. If you're confused about image, you'll be utterly confused about identity, and there are many people who are just trying to project an image. And they want that image that they're good, they're smart, they're pretty, or handsome. And because that's the image we want, our identity gets shaped around making sure that people will say those things or think those things of us. If you don't know your image, you will have a severe identity crisis. If we get image correctly, identity will follow. So do you know who you are? You know who you are. If you've ever seen the movie uh, Memento, it's a really interesting story uh, of a man uh, who had no idea who he was. There was a uh, a crime committed against his wife, and in the process, uh, his wife was brutally killed, and in the process, uh, he uh, suffered in that same attack a head injury, and his injury left him incapable of remembering anything of himself for more than three or four minutes. And so the movie is about him trying to remember and piece together who he is and what happened to him. And so he's tattooing himself and writing on himself, and he's got post-it notes everywhere because he can't remember anything more than three minutes. And one of the scenes in the movie, Leonard says this, you see, I have this condition. And I see that, and I'm like, wow. That is like so many of us. You see, I have this condition. I often forget who I am. I thought I knew, but then I forget. I said I knew, but then my life doesn't really reflect who I said I was. You see, I don't want anyone to leave here saying, you know what, I have this condition. I think I know who I am, I thought I knew who I am, but I keep forgetting who I am. Because when the situation changes in the life that I'm living, Who I am, actually, is changing with that. And I just don't want anyone here to forget who you are, not because someone else declared it of you or you declared it of yourself, but because this is what God has declared you to be. Now, here's another question for you. And I hope all of you would just say yes. And the question would simply be, are you in a place in life where you're just ready to go? Like you're so ready to grow. You're so ready to mature. You're so ready just to be unstuck. You've been kind of in this cycle of you're not really growing at the rate that you really want to be growing. Same attitude, same pattern, same behavior, same old, same old, same old. You're older, but you're not maturing. I hope that You would answer the question of, do you really want to go? Do you really want to move? Do you really want to get unstuck? That there's something in each of us that would say, yes, I am desperate to move forward. I'm desperate to grow. I don't want to be in the same place. The good news is knowing and believing one's true identity is the one thing that will change everything. If you really want to grow, if you really want to mature, if you really want to get unstuck, knowing and believing your identity will be a game changer. So if you're looking for a game changer as it were, knowing your identity. And your identity is going to flow from your image. Underlying struggles in life, whether it be insecurity, idolatry, addictions, you name the issue, you name the sin, can always bring it back to you just don't know who you are because if you did, you wouldn't be doing that. You wouldn't be thinking that of yourself. You wouldn't even be thinking of that of them. You've lost sight of identity. So this is a game changer. This is the unstuck moment of we get our image, and out of that flows our identity. Now, it's certainly true that if you're human, you bear the image of God, regardless of race, regardless of any of those things religion, you bear the image of God. But equally true to that is all of humanity are sinners. There's not one person that has not sinned or rebelled against God. Scripture makes this crystal clear. Ecclesiastes, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. Psalm 14 says this, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, All have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Now, I know most people generally don't like being called sinners. But again, we're in a season of really examining ourselves. We're in a season of, I'm okay to be stretched. I'm okay to have my mind and my heart examined and challenged. You are created in the image of God, but the equal reality is that all of us are sinners. I like how Jay Packer describes it, because when I read this, I'm like, wow, that is so me. We have a proud, unbelieving, thoughtless, careless, greedy, self-serving spirit. We live to please ourselves, and in our hearts, we keep God at bay. Our egocentric, anti-God attitude seeks to play God, use God, fool God, and fight God all at the same time. Our egocentric attitude meaning me attitude, anti-God attitude, seeks to play God, use God, fool God, and fight God all at the same time. That resonates with me. And I would guess if we're honest with ourselves, you could look at that and say, you know what? That's a pretty good descriptor of my sin, of me being a sinner who rebels against God. Now, until we get right with God, until we are reunited with God, our our identity will be driven not by the image we bear, but by the sin that separates us from God. So before I can even get into uh, the question of, well, what is your identity? What has God declared you to be? You've got a really important question to answer, and this is a really important question to ask. Sin has marred the image of God in us, and until we get right with God, restored with God, reconciled with God, Our identity will be driven by our sin, by our rebellion, by our pride, by our arrogance. So the question simply becomes, what are you going to do with Jesus? Jesus is the one who said, I am the one who can restore and reconcile and redeem you back to a right relationship with God. Until you figure out what you are going to do with Jesus, you will have an identity crisis that will just frustrate you to no end. So the question, just simply, is this: What will you do with Jesus? This is the question we need to be asking people. You don't have to con- excuse me. You don't have to convince people that there's sin in the world, that there's sin in them. <laughs> like how G.K. Chesterton said, "Original sin is the one Christian truth that can be verified by observation anywhere in the world, any day of the week." You just have to look at people and have to look at the person in the mirror and be like, yeah, they're sin. I'm a sinner. So the question is, how will we get restored? How will we get reconciled back with the one that we sinned against? Let me just make the question even easier. Are you going to be with Adam or are you going to be with Jesus? There's two teams you can choose from. You can be on Team Adam. He's the captain. And I'm talking about Adam from Adam and Eve back in Genesis 3, the original man and woman who decided to rebel against God and humanity has been following in their footsteps. If you choose to be on Team Adam, it is a life that keeps you separated from God. It's a life of despair, death, destruction. But there's another team, and this one's led by Captain Jesus. So the question is, will you be on Team Adam or will you be on Team Jesus? 1 Corinthians says this, uh, 15, verse 22. Just as everyone dies because we belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. If you're with Adam, death and destruction, separation from God. That's your, if that's your team, that's where that team is headed. I don't know why you'd want to be on that team. If you knew that team, it wasn't going to end well, why would you choose that team? But Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, again, 15, everyone who belongs to Christ, new life. So again, it's, it's the question, what will you do with Jesus? Jesus is the only one who can restore, reconcile us back to God, redeem us. And once you make the decision, and if you're here today and you've made the decision, then your identity flows from what you did with Jesus. But if you're confused and you haven't done anything with Jesus yet, until you get right with God through Christ, you will have a severe identity crisis. So I'm speaking now. I'm going to finish with this. I, I want you to have a clear, crystal clear answer of who you are. And I'm speaking directly to those of you who have made the decision that I'm with Christ. That's the team I'm on. Because... This identity that I share with you is flowing from not what you've said of yourself, not what you've decided you want yourself to be like, but what Christ has declared you to be. But if you're not with Team Jesus yet, if that's not the team you've chosen, then these are the things that would be true of you. They're not yet, but they would be true of you if you accepted the one who can really restore the image of God in you, who can reconcile and redeem you back to right relationship with God. I'm going to share with you very quickly five things. And By the way, I had to kind of narrow this list down from about 60 things that are true of you if you are in Christ, if you know Christ. Here are five. This is not exhaustive. Number one, if you're in Christ, that's your team, you're a child of God. You are a child of God. I want you just to Consider just the enormity of that statement. That you could consider God, the creator, sustainer, eternal one, that you could say, he's my father. This is what John 1.12 says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. If you're in Christ, Christ has said, you're a child of God. And God is a good Father. I don't know what your father was like, but God his father is absolutely amazing. He cares. He provides. He's faithful. He's kind. He's loving. It is an amazing truth that when someone says, who are you? Because of Christ, I'm a child of God. That's not a role that you play. You are a son, a daughter. You are a child that shapes who you are. Number two. Love this one. You're new. You are new. If you are in Christ, your identity, who you are, you are a new person. Scripture says in Corinthians, this means that anyone who belongs to Jesus has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. What's your identity? I'm a new man. I am a compl- I'm a new woman. Why? Well, because in Christ, I'm a brand new creation. I can't tell you how many people that I've just encountered with from years past. they like, you're a pastor? And I'm like, right, I know. Because <laughs> they remembered what I was like. And my only answer is, I'm new. That's not who I am. I used to look to those things to define me. My identity used to be so, but not anymore. Why? Because I'm new. Number three, I love this one. I'm going to say that after all of these because they're amazing truths. You're not condemned. You're not a condemned person. If you know Christ and you have relationship with Christ, he's the one who's restored and reconciled and you're not condemned. Romans 8, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Newsflash, you're going to sin. And you're probably going to sin a lot. But the beauty of who I am, because Jesus has declared this of me, is I am not a condemned person. It saddens me when I do this. It saddens me when I see other people do this. They walk around moping and just acting like God hates them, that God is so disappointed in them that God wants nothing to do with them because they've just sinned. You know why you walk around like that, feeling unforgiven, feeling unloved, feeling like God is just distant from you? Do you know why? It's not because God is like that. It's because you've lost sight of your identity. You're not condemned. You are completely forgiven, absolutely loved. There is nothing that you could do that would change your standing with God. You're not a condemned person. So when you sin today, when you sin tomorrow, you can celebrate not your sin, but you can celebrate that your sin has been completely forgiven, covered, and paid for, and you're not condemned before God, that God looks at you and says, You're still my kid. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Stop walking around acting like, I don't know you. You're not condemned. Two more. Number four. I'm not sure if I've said this yet, but I love this one too. You're safe. You're safe. Who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm new. I am not condemned. And I'm safe. What do I mean when I say I'm safe? I'm safe with God. There's nothing that I could ever do that would separate me from God. There's nothing that I could ever do where God would say, man, Davis, you've crossed the line. I'm out of here. Peace out to you. There's nothing that I could ever do in my life where God would quit on me or bail on me or be unfaithful. There's nothing that I could do where God would say, I'm done with you. I'm safe. Jesus says this, uh... John 6, verse 39, and this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he's given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. There is no way, there is no way that Jesus could lose you. That is true of your identity, of who you are. You are safe. Last one is this. I love it. Number five, you are empowered. You are empowered. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. The only way we receive the Spirit of God living, dwelling, residing in us is how we answer the question, what we did with Jesus. If I've received Jesus, if I've accepted Jesus, I receive then the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living in me. Consequently, it goes on to say, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the of the earth. What I love about this being my identity is I am empowered by God to do the work that God has for me. This last one answers the question of, well, what's my mission? What's my point in life? Well, your point is to know God. Your point is to walk with God, to have a relationship with God, to worship God. And once that's happened, do you know what your mission is? Is to help other people discover that is to help introduce people who don't know Jesus to Jesus. All of us, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ one, a child of God, being made new, not condemned, if those are true of you because of Christ, we have a shared mission. I meet too many people who just like, I don't know what God wants me to do with my life, and I don't know what I... You, You know what God wants you to do with your life? He wants you to walk with him And help other people who don't know him begin a relationship with him. That's your mission. That's your job. That's your purpose. However you want to understand it, that's what we are to do. We get caught up in the details of, well, should I work here? Should I move here? Should I live here? And I'm not saying those details are not important. God is in the details. God cares about the details but those are just details. Your mission doesn't change whether you work here or work there or live there or live here. Your mission is the same. Walk with God and help other people walk with God. That's it. You've been empowered by the Spirit of God who lives in you. Your identity is to do that. You don't carry that out by yourself. You carry that out because you've been empowered by God to do so. Martin Luther tells a great story of a guy who Uh, made a decision to trust Jesus. And he comes to Martin Luther and he says, what should I do now? As if to say, should he become a minister or perhaps a traveling evangelist? Luther asked him, well, what is your work now? Well, I'm a shoemaker. And much to the cobbler's surprise, Luther replied, then make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. This guy was like, well, now that I know God, I'm walking with God, have a relationship with God, I should just leave everything. And Martin Luther said, No, be where you are, where God's placed you to be, and do it really, really well. And through that, you doing the job that God's given you to do, whatever that job might be, people are going to see God at work in your life, and you're going to have story after story and testimony to share with people of who God is and what God is doing. Too many people are working jobs right now that you just hate, you're miserable in, and you desperately want God to get you out of, maybe it should occur to you that God wants you exactly there because he wants to use you to introduce people who don't know him to him. So wherever you are, it doesn't matter what your job is or it is not. Wherever you are, you are empowered by God to be used by God to reach people for God. That's it. Why do I exist? What's my mission? Walk with God. Help other people walk with God. That's it. Your image has been given to you by God. And if you know Jesus, Jesus has given you identity that is flowing from the image that God has given you. And I just listed a few. There are so many. My life is just a continual discovery of what Jesus has declared me to be. And living and owning and not being like Leonard, walking through life saying, gosh, I've got this condition. I can't remember anything of what Jesus has declared me to be. Jesus at work in, in me is helping me to remember of who I am because this is who he's declared me to be. Imago day. that's what it means to be human. You bear the image of God and flowing from that is your identity. It's the identity Jesus has given you. I hope as you've been listening and hearing these things, these are not just things for you. These are things, if you know these things, I would be sad if you walked away and be like, oh, okay, I'm reminded I know this. The challenge is that we would go and engage the people who have these questions but don't know what the answers are. You can go from here saying, I know what it means to be human. I know my identity, and it's not based in my job or certain role or hat I wear. It's the identity that Jesus has given me. Father God, we love you. We thank you that you have created us. God, we thank you that you have created us to know you, to walk with you, to worship you. God, we thank you that you have given us an image that we don't need to create on our own. God, we thank you that Every single person that is here right now bears your image. And God, it would be my prayer. God, it would be my prayer that if there is one that has not made the decision for Jesus today, if they have not made the decision to be restored, made right, reconciled with you through Christ, that today is the day. God, I pray that you would work in their minds and their hearts to understand these amazing truths about who you are and who we are and how we know you and knowing you, what that means for our identity. God, for those that have accepted your son, Jesus, as the one who restores and redeems and reconciles, God, I pray that we would not be a people who would forget the identity that Jesus, you secured for us. Jesus, that you declared over us. God, save us from being the Leonard of just forgetting. Jesus, thank you for declaring these amazing truths about who we are in light of all you've done for us. We're going to spend some time in worship through song and worship through celebrating communion. We celebrate communion every week at Genesis as a reminder to us that we could not even talk to God, nonetheless have a relationship with God unless Jesus came to reconcile that relationship. And for those of you who are Christians and have made that decision, then celebrate communion today with great joy. Come up with a friend. Come up with your community group. Come up with your spouse. Come up with a friend and say, let's celebrate together what Jesus has done. The identity that he's given us. And if you're not a Christian, today's your day. That's why you're here. You're not to leave here still separated from God. You're here so that you can know God and have a relationship with God. And that begins, is sustained by knowing Jesus. I've got some of our leaders up on uh, my left and right. If you want to talk with them about how to become a Christian, if you have questions, if you want to pray with them or, or have them pray for you, if something's going on in your life, please do that as we worship through song and celebrating communion.
1: Whoa.